You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Beloved, you must develop discernment about true wisdom or you're going to be fooled. It is not confident people. It is not smooth talkers and those with great vocabularies that seem so genuine who are wise. It is those who bear fruit around them. That's what testifies to their wisdom. You know wisdom by her deeds. Wisdom, it said, is vindicated by her deeds. All a truly wise man has to say is, if you're questioning me, look around. April Fool's Day, one day that many may take advantage to play a practical joke. Just like this day, if you're not careful to discern true wisdom, you will be fooled as Pastor Tom speaks about today. There's wisdom that comes from above and wisdom that comes from the pit of hell. One brings people together for sharing Jesus' love, while the other divides. One has consequences, while the other delivers order. Godly wisdom doesn't have a hint of arrogance or pride, of human nature. It's gentle in manner. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he continues his message, Heavenly and Hellish Wisdom. Arrogant is really the word boast or to boast over something. Ever seen someone, uh, you know, on Sunday morning, they, they, they sack the quarterback and kind of stand over them and gloat? That's kind of this word here, okay? It's arrogance. Why do you have uh, bitter jealousy? Answer, because you had selfish ambition. Why do you have selfish ambition? Answer, arrogance, arrogance. Some folks in society actually think that arrogance is a very useful attribute. Oh, that guy's arrogant and he's accomplishing a lot of stuff. And they're talking about it like it's a virtue. They do, really. They confuse it with confidence. You can have confidence without arrogance. Arrogance is too lofty a view of self and too little of a view of others, right? And because it's not real, because the view of themselves is too high, it's puffed up beyond what it actually is, then it's deceptive and it has only one place to come and that's to fall back down again that same guy who spikes the football in the end zone next week may have an injury one little tiny injury to his knee his career's over they should play with a little more fear boasting about what you cannot control is arrogant we see this in politicians we see this in pundits we see this in presidents the, the loud and flamboyant ones, they're very easy to spot as arrogant. Your discernment needs to be better than that. There's just as much arrogance often in the quiet ones. Beware the quiet ones. They also can be arrogant. They never learn. They never bend. They're always stubborn. Everyone has to fit their way or else. Arrogance. Jeremiah 9 comes to mind. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Notice too this interesting phrase that when they're arrogant, they boast and lie against the truth. Now, that's not a motivation. That's more of a consequence of their motivation, but it's a very interesting phrase. If you try to find a similar phrase, it would be in Acts 5 where Ananias and Sapphira lied against, in this case, the Holy Spirit. So they had lied against the Holy Spirit by their action. Here, what James is saying is that uh, a person who is arrogant 
even though what's coming out of their mouth may sound very truthful and scriptural, the way they live, their inner motivation lies against the very words they're saying. They're saying Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They're giving the gospel, but their arrogance and their selfish ambition belies that. It would be better for them to just shut up and not talk than to talk because as the words come out, they do more damage even though it's truthful. Their heart's not right. They're arrogant. And they mess up the gospel because the gospel is inherently a humble thing. Everybody who accepts the gospel has said, I'm doomed I'm headed for destruction in hell. I, I accept the fact that I deserve the wrath of God. I'm no good. God, please forgive me, a sinner, right? How can you believe that in your mind and your heart and then so arrogantly use truth to divide in church? It lies against the truth itself. The truth, of course, is the gospel. It's the very truth that back in chapter 1, verse 18, we were told was planted inside of us as believers. Listen to this. If knowing the gospel fosters gentleness and humility, then to live in opposition to the gospel, to be arrogant, that is, is to lie against the gospel with your life. It's a lie against the truth. Keep that in mind, by the way, in the work world when you're out there and you want to give the gospel. Are you being humble in the way you present it? That's very important because your gentleness and your reverence in the way you present the gospel is the spirit of the gospel. It has to accompany it, or it won't be heard as much. All right, that's the ugly motivation, terrible as it is. Next, we see the dreadful description of the wisdom from below. The dreadful description of the wisdom from below. It's not that which comes down from above. It's declared that right away. It's pegged that way, not that which comes down from above. We should want the wisdom which comes down from above. Would you agree? Would you agree that when you think of wisdom, what you're thinking is, I wish the resources of heaven and the holiness of God that he would contribute to my thinking. I want that kind of wisdom. When Solomon was praying for wisdom, where did he look? He looked to heaven and he said, I need the wisdom that comes down from above. That's what we're seeking. That's what we should want. That's what we treasure. You know, by the way, what from above means, right? That's just a way of describing as it comes from who? comes from God. He's the one who is above. We're speaking in a phenomenological way that he's up above and beyond and then he sends down his, his uh, wisdom to us. In chapter 1, verse 17, it said, all good gifts flow down from the Father above. That's the realm of God. Jesus said in John 8, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Jesus was an alien. He came down from a foreign alien place and he came down onto this planet and he's bringing the wisdom from above he's bringing the wisdom from outer space no from beyond space from heaven's from heaven's door so how do you describe this wisdom from below well the holy spirit chose three adjectives here to describe it and each one is power packed they're arranged i think in increasing strength the first one is earthy earthy or earthly epigeos uh, earthbound literally upon the earth it describes the wisdom source spatially. This is not wisdom from above, but it's the wisdom that's stuck down here on the planet. So what's that? Well, I just think of uh, two guys walking in a forest, you know, and it's a dense forest. They can't see where they're supposed to go. They've been lost for hours. One guy stays at the bottom. The other guy says, I'm climbing a tree. He gets way up there, and he finally looks, and he looks out over all of the landscape. Ah, that's where we need to go. The guy from below is stuck on the earth. He can't see. He doesn't know where to go. He can't give the guidance. It's only when someone gets the perspective from above, he can see, and he knows the way to go. That's what, it, that's what is meant. 
people in the world, they have a perspective, but their perspective is earthbound. You talk to them and they're not aware of God. They're not aware of what's coming. They act like they're all educated. They act like they know a lot, but they don't. They don't see. They don't understand. They're earthbound. Jesus said to Nicodemus, if I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You haven't even got this down yet. In Philippians 3.19, it describes people like this. It says they set their minds on earthly things. They just set their mind. This is what I think about. This is what I take into consideration when I'm trying to solve problems, and then that's it. They sit around in a boardroom. They sit around in the Oval Office. They sit around in the military camp, and all they're thinking about is on this level. That's all that they do. That's all they can get. It rejects God's revelation from above. It rejects what God is saying. It rejects that that is even possible. It just blocks it out. You know, the entire European Enlightenment and our so-called educational system is based on this earthly kind of wisdom, all of it. Where, where it used to be the Bible that was above man's reason and, and man's reason was used in order to understand that, the Enlightenment thought they were so enlightened, I call it the Endarkenment. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. And just flip-flopped it and said, we will be the judge of God's word. Based upon what perspective? Because we say that we know. What arrogance. What incredible arrogance. Our entire educational system is based on this arrogance. It's all wrong doesn't know God's truth. You can't know anything if you don't start with God's revelation. Many modern scientists have locked themselves into this way of thinking, even though science has nothing to do with this way of thinking. Rather, it's a philosophy of naturalism. Rejects all supernatural acts. Well, how did nature get here in the first place? Nature can't create nature. It has to be something supernatural. It's not logical thinking. It's earthbound thinking. People of the world are locked into only what they can see only their opinion with what they've seen. Some are so bound by this, they don't even want to read back in history. At least, at least you could read some history and find out what's happened, you know? But they block that off and just look at their world the way it is now and think they know. And there's this disdain for learning from history and the lessons of history. No wonder Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. He looks at the whole thing. He's like, they have the foggiest idea of what's happened to them, why they're here, what they're doing, what's about to come upon them. They don't know. Why would we ever admire wisdom like that? Please tell me. Why would we ever admire people like that? They go on and on with their facts, but they don't know life. They're not wise. Second description is sukikos. An adjective which is always negative when it's put in contrast with the term pneuma or spirit. It means of the soul, not in the good sense, but in the, the limitations of humanity and of the sensual nature compared to what would be good with the spirit of God. It's human thinking with all of the human limitations. It, it also carries the idea of fleshliness or sensuality. Someone who is like this and thinks like this is in a natural state. They're not born again. They're uninfluenced by the Holy Spirit. It refers to their, their mental capacities and the forces of their thinking as an unregenerate human being. They have no life of God in them and they can't even understand the things of the Spirit of God. This word is used in 1 Corinthians 2.14. But a natural man, see, a natural man, an unregenerate man, a man who's unsaved, a man who's just in his natural state from the womb, he's never been born again. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? Because it's foolishness to him. Cannot understand it. It's only spiritually appraised, Paul wrote there. In Jude 19, it says, these are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded, and they're devoid of the Spirit. 
They don't get it. This is all on the natural level. Their minds operate without true spiritual insight. They think they know, but what they know is very little. The third term, brethren, is the strongest of all. Is this shocking that this wisdom is demonic? Do you think that how much of the wisdom that goes on in our world is sourced in the realm of spiritual things and evil and lies and is pumped into the world of humanity with suggestions and ideas and philosophies and isms and they come into the realm of mankind but their source are evil spirits. And if you don't believe they're evil spirits, you don't understand the word of God. This means pertaining to demons, this term. Point obviously is it is not God's wisdom but this wisdom comes from hell's angels. The real source of the wisdom is unmasked and exposed. It's Satan and all of his minions. Remember that the tongue was said to be set on fire by hell back in chapter 3, verse 6. Because Why is that? Because the heart here is influenced by demons. The thinking is influenced by demons, so the tongue is set on fire by hell. Demonic wisdom is always opposing what God says. The demonic mantra goes way back to the ruler of the demon's philosophy when he landed in the garden And he said, you know what, Eve, if you don't do what God says, everything will be fine. God just doesn't want you to do it because he knows it'll be better for you. You'll end up being like him. That's his philosophy. Disobey God's word. Discount God's word. Don't base your life on God's word. It'll be a lot better for you because that's the way he went. That's his understanding of everything. That's his way of thinking. When mankind thinks like that, they're thinking like the devil. We see that in society right now. All sorts of groups throwing off the Bible, throwing off what God has said. Many in the far left now aren't even trying to hide their hatred towards Christianity. Everything they're saying is against Christ, against the spirit of Christ, against God, against scripture, against family, against everything that is valuable in scripture. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're openly opposing everything Christian. It's an anti-Christ spirit that is just growing like a tidal wave in this country. The scriptures teach that's demonic and that the demonic understanding of the world will grow and increase in the end times. First Timothy chapter four says it is demonic thinking and it comes in the end times. I believe we're already beginning to see a very powerful delusion that is coming over the world where up is said to be down and down is said to be up. In the most simplest areas of discernment, people have no discernment about anymore at all. This is their false wisdom. This is the description. It does not come from God. It comes from the earth, from the human self, and from demons taking advantage of foolish humanity. Dr. MacArthur says it's a closed system, a circumscribed box, as it were, of man's own making and choosing under satanic prompting. As James has just noted, this wisdom is motivated by pride, selfish ambition, arrogance, self-centeredness, self-interest, and self-aggrandizement. It spawns a society whose watchwords are do your own thing. Have it your own way. And look out for number one. It pervades philosophy, education, politics, economics, psychology, and every other dimension and aspect of contemporary human life, end quote. Well, what are the consequences of this kind of wisdom? That's last, and this really nails the nail in the coffin, I think. Look at verse 16, the consequences, the terrible consequences for this kind of wisdom from below. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. So he repeats the motive there. There is, and here are the consequences, disorder and every evil thing. 
Oh, there's a lot in that. The earthly, natural, demonic sourced wisdom is not benign. It has its effects. And its effects are bad. They're terrible. This is just another way you can tell what really is wisdom and what's not wisdom. There are many leaders and men of influence who think that they are wise, but look around them. Look at what they manage. Look at their homes. Look at their disciples. Look at their teaching. Look at the fruit that surrounds them. What do you see? That's the way to tell whether there's wisdom there or not. If it is disorder and other evils, their wisdom's not all that wise. They don't know what they're doing. They can exude all the confidence in the world they want. This is what we're going to do. We're going to accomplish this. This is the way to handle this. Look around them. What have they accomplished? What have they achieved? What do you see around them? That's the way to tell whether they have wisdom or not. It's that simple. There's really no other way. If you think they're wise and around them, there's disorder and nothing is being constructed well, they don't have wisdom. And you can apply this at all kinds of levels, certainly in the church. Beloved, you must develop discernment about true wisdom or you're going to be fooled. It is not confident people. It is not smooth talkers and those with great vocabularies that seem so genuine who are wise. It is those who bear fruit around them. That's what testifies to their wisdom. You know wisdom by her deeds. Wisdom, it said, is vindicated by her deed. All a truly wise man has to say is, if you're questioning me, look around. Look at my family. Look at my small group. Look at my disciples. Look at my business. Look at my employees. Look at the ones under me. Look at the ones I've labored with. Look at my friendships. Look at what surrounds me. See what's there. Take some time. Think about it and you'll see whether it's wisdom or not. Wise leaders bring people together in Christ, bring harmony for the cause of Jesus Christ. They bring people together to work for the cause of Christ, to put aside their lesser differences and say, we have a greater cause, let's work together. That's wisdom. Wise leadership does that. Bad leadership in church, in country, wherever, is always stirring up friction, always putting people against one another. Lecturing this side while they do the very thing they lecture others not to do. They can't bring people together. They don't listen to others. They foster rivalry. It's disorder. Disorder, isn't that interesting? Disorder, of all the things you could think of, this kind of wisdom brings blank disorder. Disorder is bad. God is a God of what? Order. Corinthian church was having trouble having orderliness in their worship service, and Paul had to write that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. Look at the way the tabernacle was put together. Incredible order. Look at the way he wants the worship service to go. One person talk at a time. One prophet at a time. Interpret. Now be done with it. Order. That's how God wants things. I'm sure that's how things are run in heaven. Orderly. Get in line. You know, you, you hate disorder. When everything's orderly and someone comes in like a, a bull in a china shop and wrecks things up, you're like, that's not wise. And it's not always a little kid doing that. God wants the church working in harmony with one another. Different gifts put together 
superintended by the Holy Spirit, taught by the Word of God, work together, do ministry together, get along together, solve problems together, be humble together. See, that's God. This order is not God's way. Yet in the church, disorder always happens when people have to have their own agendas and not Christ's agenda. They're not serving the whole body of Christ. They find a segment of the body of Christ and say, rally around me. Others sit back and they're uninvolved. They eat their popcorn and criticize. Like church is a football game to watch and criticize on Monday morning. You can see partisanship and disorder happen when someone gets on their hobby horse and keeps beating their favorite drum, but it's really not all that important. Let it go. What is good for the whole church is what a wise man considers. The whole body of Christ working together. It's like the person only sees the one thing that, you know, here's a good cause, and it's like, this is what I'm going to think about. And they don't think about all this as well. And so people get hurt while they're pursuing a good thing, they think. It's like the guy going to catch the football pass in the backyard, and he's trampling over the roses on his way. Open your eyes. There's other things going on here. Such as you and that one cause. Yeah, but that's an important cause. Yes, it's an important cause. And this is, and this is, and this is too. Broaden your thinking. Don't put the blinders on. This is what happened to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They develop a party spirit. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Christ, some said. That church got its act together. Clement of Rome wrote at the end of the first century, a non-canonical letter wrote from Rome to Corinth and wrote to that church. And when he wrote his letter, it indicates that for decades, that church at Corinth had matured and become harmonized. And now, some 40, 50 years after the apostles, the same ugly divisiveness had resurfaced because there were a lot of young men that had thrown off their elders and decided they're going to do things their own way. And that letter is a really neat, it's not inspired, but it's a really neat Christian letter the earliest non-canonical writing we have in church history. And it just shows you that a church is, isn't careful. They can go right back into divisiveness again. Because they take the worldly wisdom, which is what Corinth struggled with in the beginning. Often there are agitators in church, and they, uh, they're focusing on what someone else is doing wrong, and they see the speck in their brother's eye, and they can't see the big log called unwarranted criticism in their own eye. And that causes divisions because it comes from pride. Then there are others. I call them chicken little people. You remember chicken little? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. That will be appropriate in the seven-year tribulation to say. Just because there's two, three, four, five problems in church doesn't mean the church is falling apart, right? Quit agitating. Help us fix the things that are wrong. Peter David says, how could a party spirit do less than disturb the peace of the community? And of course, it talks about disorder leads to every evil thing that is meant to be as broad as possible, all the slander and gossip and backbiting and hatred that comes from that, all of that. In other words, if you look in the pathway of someone without wisdom, what you're going to see is something like what you see after a tornado, right? They came through loud and proud, and they said they were going to do lots of great things, and they talked about their abilities, and all there is is broken homes, that's all there is. It's torn up trees, dirt. That's what people leave in their wake. They don't build, it's easy to break things, you know? It's very hard to fix things, right? Wise men fix things. Fools break things. So may we seek the wisdom from above as we watch society and see they can't get it on the left or the right, they're not gonna get it. 
middle's not going to get it either. Those of you who think you're in the middle, you're not going to get You're not going to get it either. Wisdom is from above Christ, and we in the church need to be able to deal with our lesser differences in a gentle and a wise manner. Pastor Tom continued talking today about earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Those two offer stark differences that are very noticeable. Heart motivation that comes from arrogance and pride is from below. Earthly wisdom, order that brings everyone together to show Jesus to us is wisdom that's focused from above, heavenly wisdom. This world wants us to focus on ourselves, even in our quest for true wisdom. This isn't what God desires for you. Go gain wisdom from above. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Wisdom is one of those characteristics that would be great to have automatically without any work involved. Tune in next time with Pastor Tom to hear more details about Jesus' life and how he grew to know what mattered the most. God had a mission when he came to this earth, and he brought wisdom with him. To listen again to today's message in the book of James, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word, so join us again right here on Discover Hope.